Good morning. We're going to continue in our series on the parables of Jesus this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. And in just a moment, I'd like us to read the first 13 verses, which contains two question parables from Jesus built on the Lord's model prayer which he gave to his disciples, along with the, uh, the parable questions, the question parables, in answer to their desire to be taught how to pray. So we're going to look at prayer a little bit this morning, and then uh, quite possibly next week I'll, I'll look at uh, Luke chapter 18, since Brian brought up Luke 18 this morning. Let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 together. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is shut now, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek And you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, how know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Last Sunday we looked at the vineyard master and the hires that came into the vineyard to work and the emphasis really was God is good. And I emphasized we have to get used to the goodness of God. Certainly, what Jesus teaches us here about prayer and and how we should view God really comes in to perspective and it becomes very, very important for us. Uh, The parables on prayer that we've already seen when when the tax collector and the Pharisee were in the temple praying in yet another parable, was an emphasis on attitude. And even in the parable last week, uh, our 
attitude toward God is shaped by our view of God. And Jesus wants his disciples, and that includes us, to have a proper view of God. If you want to see your prayer life enhanced, you really have to get a better grip on the Lord God our Father. And Jesus has followers to whom he points unto God the Father. And that includes us. Prayer is uh, very mysterious in many ways. And I really cannot say all that there is to say on the subject of prayer. I don't think anyone can. There are many very wise and learned people that I trust, men and women, who have written and who have insights and help me to understand about prayer. And I think that would be true for you as well. But I rely very strongly on the authority of Jesus. And what Jesus has to say here about prayer is very dear to me. And I want it to be dear to you. I think there's an unexpressed question that Jesus is answering here. And that question is, does God respond to prayer? Perhaps it was... uh, You know, in that day, a a certain uneasiness or concern or or fear, uh, Jesus wants to set that straight. And I think that's something that we can identify with. I was reminded this week of C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I think it was about page 2021 that he relates about his mother's grave illness and eventual death and what was happening to him and his brother and particularly his father at that time. He'd been reared in a kind of a nominal Christian religious, religious experience. Not as personal as as is my own experience at this time, but I think all of us can relate at that time, maybe in our own lives, where our contact with God is through a religious atmosphere or through other people in our lives that to us appear religious. And we, we get bits and pieces and we learn things about Jesus or about this whole enterprise or about the church. But it's kind of spotty and checkered. And it isn't a, a deep, sustaining understanding that we have of our own. That's where C.S. was. His name was Clive. Everybody called him Jack. That's where young Jack was. And when his mom was gravely ill, it was a heavy, heavy thing on him. And he, he started praying like no other time in his life. And he drew on every little trace or bit of what he knew about prayer and what he could recall from those times that he went to church or when he was in the Church of England and He knew that if he had a faith that had no doubt, that was important. And so he really worked up 
kind of a lather, you know, to believe strong enough, hard enough, so that his mom would be healed. So this degradation and degeneration and this kind of irreversible march toward death would be halted and turned around. She died. And he redoubled his efforts. He thought he didn't have quite the faith that he should, and so he redoubled his efforts because surely God, the God of miracles, could raise his mother from the dead. He didn't. And Jack says, and he was a young man, young, young man, and he was, he was not a believer. He was an atheist, a practical atheist. He says, the thing hadn't worked, but I was used to things not working. I have to put it in somebody else's words because sometimes we feel that way about prayer. I remember my daughter was going through a really hard time, and this was in high school. And um, we're forgiven things, especially in high school. It's a dramatic time of life. But she was heartbroken and totally devastated and inconsolable. And remember, Shelly and I, we, uh, we consulted over it. How can we help? What can we do? Finally, I was sent in. No, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as that. But I really, we, we were both touched deeply. And we just didn't, when someone is so wounded and hurt and broken, you want to help. And I, I remember going in to talk to her because dads care about their daughters too. And uh, nothing I could say sounded quite right. It sounded really all pretty clunky as dads can sound. And when I mentioned prayer, she said, I tried it and it didn't work. I understand that. I had nothing to say. I vaguely remember the subject, and I'm not going to share it here, but I think prayer did work, and I think prayer does work. But as Brian was reminding us, this isn't the purpose-driven life, it's a person-driven life. Jesus, and it's on his authority that we get our, our answer to the mystery of prayer, or at least our direction, and our deep assurance on the subject of prayer this morning. Jesus assures us our Father answers prayer. Jesus, and I want to put it right there. He's my Savior. He's the one who went to the cross for me. He's the Son of God, the Messiah. He's the one who reveals God as no one else. And it is He who assures me 
and assures all of us, our Father answers prayer. In fact, this he's in prayer and the disciples wait out of respect for their, their teacher, their master. But once he has completed this time of prayer and devotion, they approach him, teach us to pray, to pray. They admire him as a prayer. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus begins and he says, pray this way. I like it, by the way. I, I, I've adopted this in counsel. I didn't get it from Jesus, but it really it makes a difference to me when I'm seeking counsel in a difficult situation and someone kind of scripts me. It kind of is like acting it out a little bit, giving me, you know, if two people were to role play a difficult conversation at work with that boss that you don't want to have to talk to, but you have to talk to, and you want it to go just right. I like the fact that Jesus kind of scripts us here. And it's telling what he tells us. Even though we haven't gotten to the simple stories with the daring truths yet. But he, he begins by saying, Father. That's telling. Jesus gives us the authority by virtue of being his followers, his disciples, to call God Almighty Father. And then we begin with, hallowed be thy name. That's telling in itself. But after that, everything is a petition. I think, as we'll see in each of the parables, Jesus expects us to go to our Father and share with him needs, petitions, requests, I don't think of that as being, you know, the omnibus answer on all of prayer. These are simple stories that drive home a truth that sometimes, sometimes is the light that helps us to see so many other things. And it is indeed a light like that. But it's not the totality of everything we need to know about prayer. But I want us to appreciate the fact that he is talking about requests. And in the parables, the parable questions, he is talking about requests. And with that in mind, I want to come back to that question. Does God respond to prayers? And Jesus' answer is, Jesus assures our, us, our Father answers prayer. Here, Jesus, of course, says, far beyond what humans might do, our Father will respond. That's the point of the parables. And we're going to see that we need to get a view of God when it comes to praying so that we'll see Him clearly. And I think that will reinforce the fact that he answers prayer. We'll see that there's something about God we've got to view, and that is that he, we, we need to 
to realize, get a view of God that, that's inconceivable, get a view of God that's incomparable, and get a view of God that's intuitive. And we'll look at that this morning as we look at these parables. But I want us to, to get that clear. Jesus reveals here, not only in his model prayer, but in the, in the parables, that God eagerly hears our prayers. He's biased in our favor, and we can trust him to respond. So let's, uh, let's get a view of God from these two parables that he gives us. The first one is introduced in verse 5, right after Jesus gives us this model prayer. He asks a question, and I call these question parables because really, the, let me just quickly say, a parable is an analogy. In other words, it's a likeness. Something familiar helps us to see something that isn't quite as clear and familiar more clearly and familiar. Does that make sense? And so there's a likeness that we're drawn to in each of these parables. In, in every parable, there's a likeness. There's a comparison, if you will, if you will, between the earthly and the, and the spiritual, um, between the human and the divine, be, between our kingdom and God's kingdom, and so forth. And, and so here, the likeness has to do with a friend in the first uh, parable and a father in the second parable. And what I want to show you is both of these parables, that's what a parable is. It's that likeness. It's a story that builds on a likeness. The parable is entirely framed within a question. Now, if you don't see this as a question, you'll be confused about the meaning. And I don't want you to be confused, but you can see that it is question. And these questions are these kinds of questions, and they occur fairly frequently. Who of you? Who of you? Or which of you? Or who among you? Is there one here among all of us that? You see, that's kind of the idea. Who of you is like a friend at midnight? Who of you is like such and such a father? And in the first question, it runs all the way from verse 5 through verse 7. He says, who of you, having a friend, and let me just tell you the, the story of the question. A, a man has a guest come to his home in the middle of the night. Something that's hard for us to appreciate is the duty of hospitality. The, I mean, it is just, it courses through their blood. It is in their culture in the Mediterranean world, in the Middle East. Even to this day, when we were in, uh, in, the, in the Holy Land, when we were in Israel in 2010... Uh, we hiked to the homestead of a Bedouin, famously impoverished, and here's 30 of us or so coming, and they got, I mean, they, they got dressed up like they were going to the christening of a, a, a grandchild or a special child in the family. They were decked to the hilt from head to toe in, in ceremonial grandeur. 
and laid everything out and cooked uh, this meal for us, tea, made bread on the spot, for all of these people at their own expense, really laid it out. You see, you just don't refuse. It, it is, it's shameful. You, we show hospitality to friends and people that we want to impress. More than that, they show hospitality to people who are strangers. And so here in this, in this, this person is in this imposition and so he goes to a friend's house in the middle of the night. It isn't necessarily midnight. It's just in the middle of the night. He goes and he cries out. It doesn't say what he does. I mean, it doesn't say he knocks or, and, but if he's a friend, he would, he would call out. And he calls to him and he explains his situation. And the guy calls back and he says, don't bother me. It's the middle of the night. I'm in bed. My children are in here with me. I'm not going to get up. Go away. Now, Jesus says, here's the question, who of you has a friend like that? And Jesus says, and by the way, every use of a who of you question or which of you or who among you question expects a negative answer. That's inconceivable. I can't imagine that. No one here would do that. No one has a friend like that. In the next parable, it's the same kind, starting in verse, uh, verse 11. You know, who of you has a father that if his son asks him for a fish, his father gives him a snake? Or if he asks him for an egg, he gives him a serpent. You see, this is almost comical. And that's the point. Jesus wants to push the absurdity. No one among us has a friend that would do that. No one among us has a father that would... Oh, I know, some of you have had some pretty bad fathers. But come on, this is ridiculous. There is, in that culture, the idea... This is inconceivable, and that's the point I want you to appreciate. Jesus is pushing through these two question parables the inconceivable, the absurd. I think it roots out some of the things that sometimes creep in to our minds and hearts when it comes to God, that God might be like that guy who doesn't want to be bothered in the middle of the night. Or God might be the kind that when I'm in dire straits, he's going to play tricks on me or give me something harmful and deadly instead of something positive and healthful. By the way, just for clarification, I want you to know that um, in the uh, ver verse 8, Jesus adds an explanation and he says, in effect, even if, which is unlikely, but even if a friend would refuse because friends are likely to respond, he would get up and give him whatever he needs because of, and the NIV, I have to say, the NIV, I think, has the best uh, 
translation of all of the reputable translations. A shameless audacity. The word is shamelessness. The word is shamelessness. And it, it is consistently throughout the history of the word's use uh, until about 100, 200 years after Jesus. But before that and throughout, it's always shamelessness. And Jesus is trying to point, press the point. It would be likely for a friend to get up and answer a friend in need and give him whatever he needs. But even if that weren't the case, he says he would get up because of his shamelessness. And the point here, or shameless audacity, is that here is a person in great need who doesn't, uh, doesn't fulfill any of the protocols because of his need. And that will prompt a friend to get up and help him. All in the service of emphasizing to us that God assuredly responds to our requests. And I want us really to appreciate that. That's the inconceivable part. But it may help us to root out or to dismiss or get rid of those ideas that God loves to play little tricks on us. Loves to put us through difficult situations when we're asking out of need. Or that he is too busy and doesn't want to be inconvenienced to respond to our needs. And Jesus dispels that here in both of these questions, I think by raising the absurd and us being the people who answer the question draws us in deeply. This is a real faith builder for us if we understand the dynamics of this. If we were there to hear Jesus with our own ears. Also, we need to get a view not only of God that's inconceivable so that we can see what is so conceivable and that will be picked up later in verse 13 when he says how much more he deals with the second question parable who of you a father would respond to a son's request that way that's in none of us would do that that's inconceivable. Well, here's what is conceivable, you see. How much more, then, should we appreciate how God will respond? And that's the point of getting a, a view of God that's incomparable. How much more is like when, when you're a little hesitant to do something, and let's say I'm there and I say, oh, come on, you can do this. A child could do this. You know, if a child can do this, you, and a big strapping adult, can do how much more? You see the point? How much more? But here the comparison is between, an, you know, an indisposed friend and kind of a surly trickster father. And God says, those are inconceivable. How much more, though? And we recognize this. I think this is kind of the kicker because as we read right there in, in Jesus' response, he says, uh, you, which gets quite personal, 
If you recognize that fathers don't behave that way, obviously you, if you're, there are any fathers here, wouldn't behave that way. Or friends do not behave that way. Obviously there are friends here that would not be. But yet you, being evil, and we all know the deceptive heart, that's why we pray, you know, keep us from temptation. Because we are temptable. He says, if you recognize good and do it, and yet have such a heart, how much more your Father in heaven. It is he who we pray to, hallowed be thy name. Very powerful are these two question parables. And, and, and the third thing I want us to get a view of God about is just that, that I want us to get a view of God that's intuitive. In other words, I want our view of God, I want how we see him, think about him, to grow. And one of the ways the parables help, it, help us to, to grow in our view of God is we realize some things that perhaps we have thought are conceivable are inconceivable. You know what I'm saying? And that there are some things that when we compare God, sometimes we make our God too small and we, we kind of humanize him in some ways that are unfair and not serviceable to our faith. And what Jesus is saying through here is he is incomparable in that sense. And then I, I want us to intuit some things from what Jesus has to say here. And I realize I'm going to go beyond the, the parables, but I'd like to talk a little bit about some things that I've learned about prayer that maybe will, will give us a little depth to our understanding in prayer with just a few minutes that we have. And, and I'm not going to be drawing directly all the time right on Scripture. I'm going to be drawing on my own Christian experience, and I hope on on some of your experience and your, your reasoning power and, and the beauty of when reason and, and revealed truth come together and how we can then learn to, so to speak, intuit things we ought to understand and that should inform our faith and our relationship with God. But the most important thing we need to intuit here, Jesus himself tells us in verse 13, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now this was in, in advance. We know in, several, in the Gospel of John as well, sometimes Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit that was to come. We know this Holy Spirit. And if you went through us in Acts, wow, how powerful was that to, to kind of walk through that whole uh, Pentecost experience when the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. And in fact, when, when Jesus says, how much more, what he tells us is, he says, our Father is going to give of himself to us. And that's a powerful starting point for our understanding of prayer. The Holy Spirit is involved in our prayer life. Do you realize, and you need to let this sink in, you should not live without this thought that the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf 
He intercedes on your behalf even when you're unaware or when you can't put it into words or you can't find the, the proper reasoning and understanding to pray. I know that means a lot to some of you if you're going through a difficult time in your life right now. It's difficult times. It's things that mystify us, that get the best of us, that, that humble us. And, and kind of knock us off our high horse that causes us to appreciate God. We need to gain that disposition on our own and not wait for life to kind of give us a hard, swift kick in the rear. We ought to have that disposition toward him all the time. But when he gets us our, our attention that way, we know how much everything counts it's all on the line with you, Lord. And right then we want to say it in all the right ways. We want our prayers to count. Because this really matters to us. And what I want you to appreciate is that at those times, if you can remember that moment, how much prayer meant to you, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Not just at times like those, but every day throughout the day, 24-7. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, 27 will validate this. The Holy Spirit actually intercedes on our behalf in a way that is in correspondence with the very will of God for our lives. And His will is always good. But I want us to appreciate that. I want to just briefly about a few things. Prayer is not magic. Sometimes when we do say, and I think we have all thought about it. I illustrated it with C.S. Lewis and my daughter. They're in great company with one another. And there are times in our lives when we think, God, if you existed, boom. Boom. I need that instant gratification. I need that. I've, I've, I've made my request, and I want you to grant my request as I've requested it. That would certainly build our faith, we think. But that's a really mechanical, kind of almost magical sense. You know, stories and movies have been written about this. Some of them are macabre. I, I don't remember if it was Edgar Allan Poe or Alfred Hitchcock or... But, you know, the idea that uh, you are walking along the beach and there in a crag of a rock or under some seaweed, you find this ornately decorated bottle and you open it and there's this uh, genie, this uh, being in there. And he says, I grant you three wishes. But the idea of the story is that you have to word it very carefully because he's going to grant your wish mechanically. If you have the wisdom to pray, to wish, you know, to form an incantation just right, but you see, the moral of those stories is we don't have the wisdom. We don't have the perspective. We don't have the vantage point to understand the gravity of sometimes what we're praying. My goodness, if, if God mechanically answered every one of my requests as I prayed them, what wreckage 
there might be on the earth. Can you imagine what a dangerous and unpredictable world we would live in if God answered prayers mechanically like that, as if they were formulas? No, that's not the kind of... That's (laughs) purpose-driven, if I can draw on Brian's point. We're person-driven in our prayer, and that is Jesus' point. Jesus assures us he responds to our prayers, but sometimes we pray some pretty silly things. Our Father, and note the word Father, is an important analogy because just as you who are parents, you know how you want to grant the desires of your children's heart. And yet, there are times that they are foolish in their requests. And God is wise toward us as well. Jesus certainly assures us. I, was, uh, I thought it was kind of corny, but it, it did get to me. And I think it gets to us, so I'm going to share it even though I think it's a little corny. It's from Joyce Meyer. God loves to see your name on the caller ID. A little, little corny, huh? But yet it touches us if we love the Lord. Because it does, it, it does bring out a truth. God loves us. Um, I've been reading in Flannery O'Connor a lot. I've read all of her short stories, her biography, a book about her spiritual life. I'm reading her letters now, and I'm at page 500, and I've still got quite a ways to go. She was a prolific writer, but she had a friend, and this, she was in the middle of, of her bout with lupus and on crutches, and so she was disabled and couldn't get out and really relied on people to come to visit her at this point. And uh, she had a dear friend, Many, of course, were friends, but this dear friend had sent her a number of things. They were enjoying the candy and the whatnot. And she writes back to her friend, and she thanks her for all of these things. And then she says, I wish you would come and bring nothing but yourself. We can do that in prayer. He wants to hear our requests. He wants to hear the desires of our hearts. He yearns for that. We can't conceal it anyway. And yet, through our requests, and prayers have a request quality as well as a worship quality, but through our requests, we can change our perspective as well as get re- responses to our prayers. Let me just share a couple of things. When the, when the psalmists pray, sometimes they're so candid and, and straightforward it, it, it almost makes you a little uncomfortable the way they're talking to God. But they are talking to him because he's the one to whom they go. And that's where we as followers of Jesus Christ who call him Father, that's where we ought to be going. It doesn't, we shouldn't have to straighten out our disposition first. Just go to him. He wants to be that much a part of our relationship In fact, it was St. Teresa that said prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. And the psalmist, sometimes they start off in a mood, but then as they set their eyes on the Father, their mood changes, their, their language changes, and their 
whole disposition changes and their outlook changes. I don't expect God to change his grand purpose for me or to up in the natural laws of the universe for a whim. But I'll tell you, through prayer, it changes the way I see his purpose and the way I see him working in the world. When Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, pray. You're anxious? You're upset? Pray. Let God know your petitions and your prayers. But do it with thanksgiving, he says. And the thanksgiving is so valuable because it's through thanksgiving that we can expand our vision of God and how he's going to work. If I only expect God to work the way I have requested him to work, and he works for my benefit, my advantage and blessing in ways that I'm not prepared or that I can't even see because I'm only expecting to see him work within the boundaries of my request, I'm depriving myself of seeing God do things beyond my own understanding. And I'll tell you, if you don't pray, you're not going to see God's answers in your life. You're not going to see him at work in your life and in the world around you. And you won't be able to praise him. I do like to thank him as much as I requested him when I see what he's done for me. What I, when I see what he's done for all of us, for his church, not just this church, but the church at large, for all of us in this room and for the people around us. It is inspiring and encouraging and it deepens our walk with him. Soren Kierkegaard said, prayer isn't our manipulation of God. Prayer changes us, changes our nature doesn't manipulate his, to put it in my own words. Well, I hope I've said a few things that will encourage you on the subject of prayer. I had um, a few more things to say, but I'm just going to end with the fact that um, some of you have heard of Ed Dobson, and, and uh, around 2000 he was, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, disease which is incurable and fatal it's it's it, he was told he would have two to five years and those two to five years would I'm going to put this in my words not the doctors but he, they would not be happy times he would know great degradation and, and debilitation and deterioration and uh, Ed uh, quite a conservative believer um, at least that's my perception of him but under the circumstances, he sought out someone who really believed in healing. He wanted to be anointed and prayed for and uh, prayed for healing. And I think that's great. We're to do that. James uh, chapter 5, tell, we're told to do that. And we anoint with people, people with oil here at the church. But he went to a Pentecostal pastor. Um, and uh, this Pentecostal pastor had regular healing services and he asked him to come over and pray for him. And, and here's how Ed describes it in his book, Seeing Through the Fog. He says, it was one of the most moving evenings of my entire life. He began by telling stories of people he had prayed for who were miraculously healed. He also told stories about people he had prayed for who were not healed and had passed away, receiving that ultimate and final healing. Before he prayed for me, he gave me some advice. 
Don't become obsessed with getting healed, Ed. If you get obsessed with getting healed, you'll lose your focus. Get lost in the wonder of God. And who knows what he will do for you. And uh, Ed Dobson says, that was some of the best advice I've ever gotten. And he says, uh, I am still getting lost in God. Sometimes in the mechanics, you know, the formulas, the, okay, how do I do this? That's the way it is for us. That's the way it is in these United States and in this world in the third millennium. You know, cut to the chase. Give me the, the final points. Uh, just tell me how to get it done, and I'll do it. And that wasn't the world in which Jesus lived, and I don't think that's the world in which we ought to live, at least not in our spiritual lives. Will you stand with me? I want to encourage you to pray about everything. Talk to God throughout the day. I think if there's one way I've really grown in my prayer life is I just pray about all the little stuff. And if you're not doing that, this would be a great challenge for you. Yeah, when you're driving on the road, when you're stuck in a big crowd at Costco's, boy, what tough things we have to endure. But there are tougher things I know that you face. But if you deal with those little trivial things, like a guest who shows up at midnight, <laughs> um, God will show you great things. And your life will take off spiritually. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who opens our eyes to you in a way that only he who reveals you, who exposes us to you, who is you in the flesh, who loves us on the cross. Father, thank you for loving us so. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work of your spirit. May we walk and talk with you each and every day in a way that strengthens our view of you, grows us in our trust of you, and makes us more like Jesus. That's our prayer, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless.